makes a man? What makes a man? What makes a man? What makes a man? What is a man? Who is a man? Why is a man? Is it all just drag? You know who to ask. It's the Drag King cast. Hello and welcome back to the Drag King cast. How you doing? My name's John Travolva. How are you doing? My name is Luce Willis, best friend of John Travolva. Oh, you are my best friend. I've been thinking about you a lot, man, because like you are the world's most friendly, progressive porn star, right? Oh. You know, you've got a lot of love in your heart. You usually share a lot of the love with people. I'm just wondering how you're doing in lockdown, man. I mean, how is it without the love? <sighs> I mean, it's difficult. I, I, I'm, my career is very separate from my romantic life. You know, mm. I'm the kind of guy who can go out and perform, get it done, uh, this and that. But the love thing, that's, you know, I'm great at my job. The love thing, not so great at day to day. Just thinking about the whole thing makes me uncomfortable, John. And I'm the kind of guy that's comfortable with a lot of things, okay? I, I'm a guy who did a whole porn series called Uncomfortable Dicuations, Volume 1 through 17, which was uncomfortable for both myself and the uh, viewer, as the critics noted. Everyone's a critic these days with the internet. But uh, I was thinking about you and I was thinking about love the other day. And uh, I was doing what I always do in the morning when I'm sad. Uh, I was watching Sesame Street. Um, you of know, course. Watch, yeah, yeah, watching some yeah. Sesame Street, doing some speed. Because um, it just reminds me of a more innocent time in my life. You know, and, and I'm watching it and I see this guy. Uh, you know, the Cookie Monster, right? You know that guy. Um, totally. you, you've seen, yeah, you're familiar with his work. Um, I see him, man, and I'm just like, "Fuck, dude, that's me, man. That's that's me." And it, I'm I'm a lot cuter, obviously. Of and, course, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, more, more charismatic. I'm gonna say, but you know, um, but. I don't know if you know what he does, but the, you know, so this guy, like he, he loves cookies. He's obsessed with cookies. You know, he's eating them and he sees them. And he's like, oh God, I love cookies. Ah. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he's like, fuck yeah. And he grabs the cookies and he sees them and he wants them. And he just loves them so much that he's like double fisting them and throwing them into his face and his eyes. But he's doing it so much that he doesn't realize that it's hurting him, man. And like it's bouncing off his face and it's it's hitting him in the eyes and the nose and it's, it's crumbling and crumbling and turning in the bittersweet ashes in his hands and that's me man that's me dude that was like a whole roller coaster that i, I wasn't <sighs> expecting but I'm, it was beautiful it was like poetry you're a poet i think so. i have a lot of time to think these days but i i think you know i have to change you know and i have to i have to be open when i see that cookie of love going forward i just have to be more tentative in the promise myself I'm going to savor it and I'm just going to take a little a little nibble or you could just you know, look at the cookie of love online where you can't physically nibble on it but you can feast with your eyes that's what I've been doing there's stuff online <laughs> Hello, I'm Katie. I'm the voice of Luce Willis. And I'm Jodie, and I'm the voice of John Travolver. What's poppin'? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's poppin'. It's a global pandemic. <laughs> I'm inside and I'm really crazy. <laughs> I've had, I have had way too much coffee today, and I had a really big piece of um, 
chocolate and almond cake so my belly is really full almost like vibratingly full Um, fuck yeah that sounds so good yeah it was great um but full full in the belly but not full in the mind because I'm ready to have an intellectual discussion with you yeah I've cleared out my brain ready for this intellectual discussion (laughs) (laughs) no more no thoughts in this brain empty your brain out so I can put more more content into it um I wanted to talk to you um, because in the before times, before this whole global pandemic thing stopped uh, live comedy, your job was kind of being a stand-up comedian as well as a drag king. And you do stand-up comedy as yourself and also as John Travolta with Impex. So I kind of wanted to talk about how you feel different performing not in drag doing comedy and in drag doing comedy. Oh, what a delicious question. Mm. And also, may I just say, what? Remember when I had a job? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like economy job? porn. <laughs> Remember when you could like get paid to do gigs? Wow. Yeah, fuck yeah. man. I mean I I I love doing stand up as myself, but mm. then I also think I was really lucky because uh I dealt with the issue of how crappy the comedy world can be and the stand-up comedy world in particular by just like making my own all women and non-binary comedy collective the queer comedy word. collective yeah yeah we made the law word so like me and uh chloe green and ruby clyde and rachel watkins dowie and chloe pets formed the law mm. word like three years ago now and now obviously it's well pre the pandemic and also kind of during the pandemic it's doing really well yeah um and we do these big gigs where we we put on lineups of like all queer people who are not cis men yeah and that's like magical I think aside from pecs that's like one of the most rewarding things I've done in my career and I love that but performing with the low word is very different from performing on the stand-up circuit as, right. as a whole which I'm sure you would agree with <laughs> so it's this thing of like making your own which I think is the kind of pex thing it's like making the spaces that you want to perform in because the vibe at something like the low word which is a brilliant comedy night which I performed at of course well um but the vibe of something there is so different to doing an open mic or a regular thing where you will maybe be the token um, woman or non-binary person or queer person, then there's just one of you. It's this kind of wonderful gang dynamic space when you are in a format with all queer people doing material about things that are relevant to you. You don't have to run the risk of the first five people before you telling some jokes that you hate about content that's triggering to you um so you have to go on and like address that in some way it's Mm. like I don't know how many times you've been in that situation but I I feel like one of the worst things is when you are um about to go on and the previous person does something that's so monumentally fucked up that you're like god I feel almost duty bound to go out on stage and instead of being funny call out that fucking dickhead and try and care for the few people in the audience who I can tell will have been affected by that because I think about how people might respond if I said something cruel or unkind or sensitive on stage 
and then there's the whole other thing of the way you get introduced like I'm gorgeous <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you I mean for me it's fair when I when when I was doing gigs where like the MC wouldn't even really know who was going to go on next but they would see a, you know what they would see as a woman's name and they would go with a solid the gorgeous, the gorgeous. <laughs> no, rather, and then you come on you're like hello Sup. these are my docs this is my shave <laughs> just what do you do with that shit and you've got to address it um it, it's just bizarre I mean I think I had an easier time of it with stand-up um once I started presenting in a more masculine way as well mm. which is a whole other dynamic because we've talked a lot about how if you're doing stand-up um dressed as a man people laugh more and so we've talked about the context of you know doing stand-up as a drag king but actually when I first started doing stand-up I was very lucky and I started out at a, at a comedy club where they mm. actually progressed the acts I started out at the stand so comedy club in Edinburgh which was really lucky because that used to be how most comedy venues operated like you would go and you would do a gig and if you did well you would come back and you would get a longer spot um and the the stand is really old school it still operates like that it gives opportunities to new comics and I got my first gig there because I came second in like a student stand-up competition that had three mm. comedians judging it two guys and um a woman Jojo Sutherland and she mm. thought I should have won as did the entire audience as did the person who won who's now like, quite a good friend of mine um who still works in the industry not as a not as a stand-up but like just as an all-round great guy Joe. yeah um and she she was like sorry you didn't win but I've got you a gig of the stand so I went and did the stand oh. um but the feedback I got while I was still looking very femme and the feedback that any of my friends that started out there at the same time when who were very femme presenting and continue to be quite femme presenting was so harsh and then as soon as I started like dressing differently and I started doing gigs where I went on and I looked like dykey and mask mm -hmm. like the feedback just got so much better and I don't I don't think that's just because I'd progressed because obviously we all have stuff to learn when I first started doing stand-up I'm sure I was fairly crap compared to now you know it's something you have to practice yeah. but it does make a huge difference and I can do the same gigs as other people now where like people that have long hair and are wearing makeup will get heckled and people will like talk during their set and that oh, really yeah. doesn't matter that that really doesn't happen to me I think because I'm mask presenting and I, I you know I've talked to loads of other people about this that are stand-up comedians that look firm and look mask and that is like cooperated across the board like it's not just me that's had that experience when I I mean I don't do stand-up not in drag and I used to feel violently ill and scared doing it and just hating the kind of atmosphere and always heckled always really nasty kind of comments on your appearance and feeling unsafe and like I have nothing but respect for women or non-binary stand-ups who are t like quote-unquote tough enough to um succeed in that but it's also that thing of like why should you have to <laughs> why should at your job you have to be tough enough to survive abuse to be the best person on the stage as well as being incredibly funny like that's the thing as a woman that you have to be able to 
well, it's part of the job of being a stand-up as a woman. You have to be able to be strong enough to survive a man yelling at you about your body or what he's going to do to you while you're on stage. It's like, why should I have to deal with that? Yeah, when I'm just literally doing my job. <laughs> I think also, like, people... Um, it's easy to generalise about the whole, like, oh, we don't really give women comics a chance, like, we don't see them as funny. But, like, I read, um, like, a sort of diary that I kept when I first started out. And my first few gigs, like, the first time I did a Friday show, which was a huge deal, mm. got a gig at Friday show, it's a really big night, sold out. And uh, two guys sat next to the stage, tutted when my name was read out like I could hear them tutting these two old guys and I walked out to that and then one of them booed just as I was about to start speaking (sighs) like the first time I did a Saturday show a guy shat himself during my (laughs) set literally this happened he was so drunk response to your (laughs) presence (laughs) which is nothing with is nothing to do with like um my gender (laughs) I'm sure he would have shat himself regardless but in the same his context for the rest of the night so that happened but and so I was like for fuck's sake this has happened during my set like this guy is having to be escorted out like oh my god I've only got 10 minutes because I'm on the lowest rung of the of the night tonight like I'm I've been given a breakout spot so I sort of had to deal with that during it people just talking and looking at this guy who'd shot himself fair (laughs) enough (laughs) but then after the gig this guy came up to me, was perfectly nice, thought it was completely fine to say this, just came over and went, oh, you did really well um, because women aren't funny. And it was just so, we're not making it up when we say that the amount people of have people, this perception. Like, oh my he, God. He thought it was fine to say that. And yeah. I was so interested by that, that I engaged with that. I was like, that's so fascinating that you think it's okay to say that to me. Like, why, mm. do, you, why do you think that? Why do you think women aren't funny? And he was like, well, you know, I just don't... Um, I don't think you can be funny, um, but you you did re- you did well, and I was like, so you thought I was funny tonight? And he was like, oh yeah, I did think you were funny tonight. I just think in general, women aren't funny. And I was like, have you seen other women do comedy? Do you watch them? Like, what happens if they come on the TV? And he was like, I turn it over if they come on the TV. And I was like, okay, so do you think maybe this you just haven't seen yeah. you just haven't seen many women doing comedy? Maybe because you you don't want to watch them do comedy, and um he just got more and more I was being completely placid because I I was facet I wanted to keep talking to him mm. because I hadn't um run out of energy as you I dissect now have. the worm yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was young and carefully Let's look at all of his parts yeah <laughs> but by the end of it he was aggressive like yeah flipped out at the end of this conversation because I suggested you know maybe next time just watch them because mm. You're clearly wrong about it. If I can be yeah. funny, you can't generalize about women in that way. And um, trigger warning for violence against women here. He eventually, when I pushed him on this, when I was like, yeah, but what if you do see them on the TV? He was like, when I see women on the TV um, being comedians, it just makes me want to punch them in the face. And at that point, I was just like, no, wow, or didn't didn't see that one coming probably should have seen that one coming but he thought that was completely fine to say that to me you know he just thought that was a factual thing that to have that level of anger at women taking up space and being funny um 
and he flipped out started getting really aggressive like came about an inch away from my face like shouted at me I had to get Mm. him escorted from the building oh my god and that was because I suggested that women could be funny you know I didn't (laughs) do anything so between that and the guy shitting himself that was a rough one (laughs) (laughs) and I was yeah I was really young you know it's it, it is so hard like getting through the drudgery of that and meanwhile any guy that I knew that was trying out um for like open spots there all of the feedback would be about giving them a chance it would be about Mm. seeing the good in their set even when they were and I'm I'm sorry to my pals that did it crap yeah like they they the feedback would be like this guy really put himself out there like (laughs) we should give him another set and like tell him about how he should um you know work on this joke which is great yeah yeah should give people that kind of feedback like yeah but then I would have women friends that would do it and the feedback would be like she's not funny like Mm. who who booked her (laughs) I remember doing like my comedy thing when I was at uni I was I was in the footlights and um I used to do a lot of kind of comedy um gigs in Cambridge and my kind of thing I did most of the time was um kind of comedy poetry like I used to really like John Cooper Clark and that kind of thing and it was it was always very dark um but it's kind of that thing of you know I'm saying really dark things but I'm a really cute girl so isn't it kind of ironic kind of ha 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 thing which is you know it is what it is it's not my bag now but I remember trying I used to get people used to quite enjoy that because it's very you know like oh I can't believe a posh girl said something kind of rude oh kind of thing that so many people have made um careers off again not right not wrong fine um but one time I tried doing stand-up which is probably a bit more personal and definitely very aggressive and I'm sure absolutely not funny like compared to like you know now but um it was a more of a kind of aggressive confrontational like stand-up routine not very much unakin from all my peers who were doing that kind of stewardly repetitive kind of angry humor which I you know I really enjoy um and I got so many horrible personal uh mean-spirited like reviews written about me about my appearance about how um my dad obviously didn't raise me right um yeah my dad was mentioned it's something like it was like she obviously doesn't have a father that loves her to write things like this it's like and it's no more of a character than um you know being I'm being a cute girl and I'm saying rude like being an aggressive Doug Stanhope kind of stand-up comedian is no more of a different character but it was extremely um difficult to take something like that which I think that was probably one of the first times I realized like this is this is about me being a feminine person being kind of aggressive or unapologetic Mm. on stage and that has made people personally aggravated with me for doing that um whereas in drag I can do things that are quite purposefully confrontational or really weird. Like you've seen some of the acts I do are very, very weird, but people are so much more. Um, well, you know, we did the black metal Christmas. We've done eat, rolling around in trash, drinking gone off milk. We've done all kinds of things, but people are so much more accepting of that. And I think part of it is doing it in queer spaces. And I think part of it is having that, male masculine androgynous character rather than just being a woman doing it i think sometimes when we talk about um like 
the kind of comedy that you're doing the sort of like I'm being aggressive but I look femme mm. I think often people don't take what the kind of feedback you're giving on your experience of that seriously because they can like point at like Catherine Ryan for example yeah yeah and be like but she but she does that and everyone mm. loves her and it's like she does um but you've you have like years of shit before yeah you get yeah. given the little badge of legitimacy people take you seriously and they stop giving you shit for that and you start to get the respect that you deserve for being like a talented comedian yeah but because because we're women or like non-binary people to generalize between <laughs> the two of us and the rest of the, everyone the community else, yeah. doing stand-up <laughs> that aren't men like the bit before you've been going long enough um, or before you've slogged it long enough and pushed through all the abuse for long enough to have people give you a bit of respect and start giving you a bit of legitimacy mm. that bit yeah it's the roughest like people are really abusive towards you it's like less freedom to experiment less freedom to just try and fail things because obviously I'm not doing the same stand-up now that I was doing back when I was 18 I shouldn't yeah. be but there's no there's no space for the learning process and like no. everyone stand up you have to gig like you have to practice yeah it is it is a skill that you have to hone so like you do have to go and do all of these all of these gigs and a lot of them are shitty and mm. a lot of them like the experience is not positive and th that means it's really difficult to learn um and improve because like you can't actually have a lot of male comedians will be like, you've got to gig, 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 gig. Mm. Like you do every gig because you can always learn something. And it's like, actually, it's very difficult to learn anything if you're in a room where like no one's going to laugh at you regardless of how good you are. Like that isn't good feedback yeah. on the quality of your material because it's not honest feedback. It's just hateful feedback. So like, how do I know what's good and what's not? It's exhausting. God, I'm really not recruiting people to the stand-up life that well, am I? <laughs> Just do drag and do, do gay nights. Like more nights like the lol word and more it's about, you know, unfortunately, we I don't want us to be segregated. <laughs> like it would be great if we could all do gigs with a complete, you know, with some cis men and everything like that. But why would why would I want to do a gig on a night like that when I could go do something like the lol word and know I'm gonna have an audience that's gonna be kind to me and 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 happy for me to experiment and all the other people there are similar to me and supportive like what's there's no choice there <laughs> like why would I ever yeah. pick the other one like thankfully there are more and more nights that are um like put together lineups that actually reflect the diverse world that we live in you know they mm. deliberately book acts um who are people of color who yeah. aren't cis men who you know like um quantum leopard is really great oh yeah um, yeah you know there's kima bob's night fuck it up there's mm. sophie duca's night wacky racists like there are so many great nights out yeah. there it's just a shame that a lot of people in the industry can't even be bothered to like not book the same white guys over and over again mm. um and then occasionally they'll book a gay guy and be like oh we've really pushed the boat out <laughs> it's just like that's not the same you guys like can't just book Joe Lysett and be like, yeah, we've done it. You've done the work. I love Joe Lysett as well. I love Joe yeah. Lysett though. Yeah. Oh, I'm very, very glad that we both found our drag family and that we get to do drag together forever. Me too. My bestie bud. My sweet bud. Um, and also, I'm very to segue seamlessly. 
Are you I'm very nailing these we... segues. I know <laughs> we're, we're absolutely nailing them. I'm very glad that we get to do this podcast because this week we spoke to Wesley Dykes, who <sighs> is a phenomenal human and yeah, one of the most talented drag kings out there on the scene right now. They're so they're brilliant. Um, so multi-talented, and I feel like we've said that with a lot of the people that we've interviewed, and that's it's true because most of them are multi-talented but um the way Wesley kind of integrates spoken word within lip sync within dance like I don't think I've ever seen you haven't seen anything quite like a Wesley Dyke performance if you haven't seen it I'm just in awe of them I I I think that Wesley is incredible and every time that we've got to gig with them it's like I'm taking my beard off as fast as possible because I just <laughs> I just want to be able to peep from the wings in order to be able to watch them perform and sing. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've had a huge year. They uh, they have a band, Waste Woman, with a, an X in that yeah. woman. If you want to look it up, they managed to drop an album during the pandemic, which is absolutely phenomenal work yeah. achievement-wise. I mean, how, how they had done, time for that. I know I've achieved nothing. Wesley's dropped an album. Um, but Waste Women are amazing. You should yes, they are. Yep. And they work a lot with the Cocoa Butter Club as well, who you should follow if you don't follow them already. They're an amazing burlesque collective, drag collective. Yeah. yeah. Um, who platform like performers of colour and they're just yeah they're fantastic go and follow them as well yes please enjoy this interview with Mr Wesley Dykes oh Wesley's here oh it's so good to see you i know i'm like whoa other humans I know. <laughs> how are you doing Oh, I've got a lot on at the moment, so I'm kind of just like haven't slept much, but um, I'm uh, I'm alive, and that seems to be quite a big ask at the moment, <laughs> given the whole pandemic vibe. <laughs> yeah, genuine achievement. I'm not surprised you're exhausted, though. I mean, we're obviously going to ask you about that album anyway, but congrats! I can't believe you dropped all <laughs> in a pandemic. Your achievement. That sounds a bit gross, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh so man. Cool. We were just gonna kick off by doing like a pronoun check, if that's okay with you. And then also just we've got like a little launch in question. Oh I know. Right, organized. I've also realized I've literally got a Pex poster on the wall behind me, which must just look so like hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, Wesley's got Angela Davis and you've got like your own <laughs> my own <laughs> shit. <laughs> You've got like a beautiful That's wall true. of creativity yeah. and heroes. <laughs> like, this is a show I was actually in. Although I think I do have the um like one of the pictures that you took of like during one of the shows Yay. of um Kit giving me a blowjob. <laughs> I still got it. Beautiful. Great. It's up on the wall. I was so happy when I got that shot. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a kind gift as well. I I love it. Thank you so much for giving it to me. Do you do that at, at most gigs? Is it something, is photography just a thing that you are into? I think I just try and document like my time at gigs. Like, mm. well, especially when I was gigging more and more and just like had just started doing drag again. I was uh, just felt like I wanted to like have pictures of everyone I was meeting and like all the kings. I was like meeting like new kings, like, like new performers, like every single show. And it was just like, Jesus Christ, like I didn't even know there was this many people. So like, it's been cool because like actually 
when I've like got when I've traveled and like ended up doing shows and stuff there's been like some crossover with performers who've like come over here and like randomly like done shows or like a boy box or like um or like a social work club and stuff like that so yeah it's it's not it's quite nice like I quite enjoy it it's also like like great lurking energy to be the person taking photos Like, <laughs> I've never thought of you as a lurker, but maybe that's because exactly. you're so good at right. it that I don't even notice. That's how you get people that are the most candid because you're just then like, expecting the smoothest one in the room to uh, <laughs> smooth <laughs> lurker himself. <laughs> For anyone that's listening that hasn't seen you perform, I don't know why they wouldn't have done. <laughs> Turn this podcast off, isn't it? You don't deserve it. You don't deserve this content. Get out of it. <laughs> but you, but you're like an all-rounder like you are an amazing singer you're an amazing poet you're an amazing dancer could you could you give like a little snippet description of like what you what you look like as a as a king and what would be like a a classic performance for you like what would we see if we were watching Mr Wesley Dykes perform to inform people that have missed out on the majesty of it (laughs) I see okay so like Wesley's like facial hair is normally quite sharp like um very like tidy lines and like tidy mustache and um I have quite uh my face is generally quite chiseled I have quite strong cheekbones so my beard essentially ends up working as like my contour to like make my face even more sort of like cut I'm doing like cutting ninja type signs and then Wesley's fashion is kind of like um sort of like classic like 80s like suits kind of vibe like lots of double-breasted stuff and like nice ties mixed in with like um west african inspired print material like that's sort of in more contemporary styles to like yeah bring it together like somehow the fashion is amazing yeah thank you i try beautiful (laughs) but it's so it feels very high fashion in that kind of like mixture of like more traditional prints and then like well-cut suit and everything like that like it's are you quite a fashiony person would you say like you're quite into your sartorial like yeah I would say so definitely if I I I mean I would say less over the last few years only because I've sort of been like reassessing my relationship to like clothes Mm. in general and like buying new stuff Uh, Mm. so sort of like trying to find more and more thrifty ways of like still like dressing Wesley and cool stuff um but like def- for a very very long time my clothes were like a massive part of like me being in the world as like how I look like how I looked how I dressed how I was put together and I think it, inevitably to be honest I just actually like suits quite a lot because it like holds you in like yeah. and ties mm-hmm. like and collars that are things that are tied up to your neck just like keep you together like and I think I just there's a little bit of kinkiness in there a little bit I think but um <laughs> there's something quite like bound up about it and everything it's like the thing with the suit it's like what's underneath it like when and because you often like play with like striptease a lot it's like there are so many like just a little peak of a shoulder or just a little the power of like undoing like one button is like yeah. it's so much more almost sometimes than like ripping off your whole trousers yeah. it's yeah. like it's just kind the of... way you adjust like your your tie in some of the acts like just the little adjustment of the of anything around your neck yeah Mm -hmm. so powerful just the little movements it's interesting thinking about like how clothes are tied to physicality because I think with you when you're in drag and when you're out of drag there is like such a transformation with how you move of 
when you are Wesley, you are in this full kind of like swagger, like every move is kind of uh, like poised. And as we said, there's like little tweaks and adjustments and it is almost like the minute you put this, it's almost like an armor or kind of a full costume change or something. It, does, do you find like your clothes contribute to like how you carry yourself when you're in drag? Oh yeah, like definitely. I guess a little bit of it is also why like I haven't yet found, found a way to bind. Mm-hmm. Um, like and like sort of like say with that side of drag just because of movement like I just yeah. really like need to be able to like be free and, and move so mm-hmm. actually even though I am in a lot of like sort of like suits and ties and stuff um, I'm not really that that restricted in my movement um, but yeah like I'm not gonna lie when I do it like sort of like my last button of my tie I just feel like I'm having a sort of like stars in your eyes moment such a good millennial reference point that's so interesting what you're saying about binding is it something you have to think a lot about when you're putting a costume together how binding works with that I start because I just I I only wear binders um Mm. I I thought about like um using tape before but I just found that with the size of my boobs and Mm. other people other drag kings that I knew who also had like bigger boobs and bigger chest um Mm. the amount that they had to tape just was literally restricting like their shoulders and like upper back like it like in a really really tough way and also yeah quite painful for you're preaching to the choir exactly I I feel it I feel it I actually think one of the first gigs we ever did together I think I I put on like two binders or something Mm. and I can remember you being like oh you feel the pain of the big chest as well I think it was the first moment in our friendship of bonding (laughs) I it's so hard isn't it I saw some like an advert the other day for um something called trans tape because usually if if we're ever doing something with pecs, which requires like taping rather, because I always wear binders. Um, and then during shows, I also prefer to wear binders just for freedom of movement as well. Mm-hmm. But there have been a, a couple of acts where I've needed to use tape because I've needed like a nude illusion in the middle of my chest. Um, and we use mountaineering tape. Like the one athletes use to, oh no, you, you're talking about the good times or the bad times? Oh, the good times. The, the good, good times. times. Not the there bad times. There was a time in that people would just use like duct tape, literally. I watched like Isabel like duct tape their chest, their chest before. Um, yeah, if you have big, a bigger chest, then you're going to go through a ton of it before. Yeah. I mean, we had to form like a, it was like me and um, Lauren, who's thrust in Limber Snake in the corner, like the, the two larger chested people spending like half an hour strapping each other in. Oh my God. Um, yeah. It's just not efficient. I didn't bind for like probably the first five years of my drag career. <laughs> I have a tiny chest though, and it's like, yeah, definitely, yeah. Because also <laughs> I just wear like big suit jackets all the time. And just like no one could see, no one could tell. But I've only started doing it now because I yeah, when I do more bare chested things. I think I probably could just not bind at all, like because my uh, and I kind of part of me's interested to see what that would be like, but yeah, it's this idea. I think it's so interesting with like kinging and or like or not kinging, but like drag is this idea of like there are no right way to do it. Like you don't have to tape your breasts down, you don't have to wear a fake penis, you don't have to like have a massive breastplate if you're a drag queen. Like you can still do drag and not do any of these kind of steps. It's such a weird thing to be like. <laughs> let me see what you've got down your trousers and on your chest to figure out if you're doing it right like do you see yourself more as a a drag king or or a drag thing 
like if you were going to put yourself in a little box you also don't have to box yourself I think I'm like pretty much a drag king yeah because I think like it might that might be like sort of like swaying over the next few years and stuff Mm. um but yeah I think like my drag is quite like well it started off quite rooted in like a certain type of masculinity and portraying that in, on stage. What kind of masculinity? Just like a like overly like like very confident with like without being like loud. Um, mm. Just sort of like the ways that like people sort of like just love men and don't really know why, even though like <laughs> so many of them are dickheads. So, like, <laughs> 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 that's that's pretty much what's the yeah it's yeah. that kind of pure like unabashed confidence that you just like mm-hmm. you're like oh I want to hate this guy but it's just like <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> he's so cool <laughs> I think what your email signature is your friend your friendly neighborhood fuck boy is uh, yeah. Wesley <laughs> yeah it's such a hell of an email signature do you email like HMRC with that one and stuff no like, I don't no. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting hearing you talk about kind of evolution in drags. I think that's how long have you been doing drag now? I started in like October 2012. Was there a particular character you were being or just just drag for the sake of drag? Um, Just drag. I had, I like, that was the first time I got a show. That's awesome. What was, can I ask, what was your inspiration? Did you see someone else do like as a king beforehand? Yeah, totally. There's this crew of kings in the town I was in called Canada's Capital Kings. Mm. they're just like these five dudes um and they just like they got totally ripped off by the bar that they performed at like every month (laughs) (laughs) it was just like just not getting a good deal at all but um they just like obviously were having a good time doing it right like yeah and Mm. it was just like oh okay sweet this is the thing that people were actually doing okay cool (laughs) i could do this (laughs) yeah yeah from when you first did it it was just like this is it this is what i want to do yeah like this this is really fun you just want to pay me for this and give me free drink (laughs) (laughs) i love that i would otherwise probably be out paying for my drinks exactly (laughs) that's a good yeah that's one of the underrated perks i think of being a performer it's like if people like what you do on stage everybody wants to wants to buy your drink afterwards Mm -hmm. which is what we should yeah we should bring that bring that back more bring that back bring that back to my house well just like if i'm not in drag and you see me just buy me a drink like because you know i did drag the other time and you didn't buy me a drink then so you should just don't bother with my paypal yeah just just buy me things (laughs) because i'm nice (laughs) oh man that's such a cute little i always love asking people about their origin stories was it something Mm -hmm. that you thought about for a while before you did it or was it almost impulsive you just saw people doing it and, and wanted to do it I think like I don't think I'd known about it for that long when I decided that I was like oh I'm gonna give this a go mm. but I guess it must have been like at least like somewhat like a year but I, I didn't even know drag things were really a thing yeah all that yeah yeah so it was just like interesting to even see it because i had a similar experience of like when they asked me to be in pecs i was like i know this looks so cool but i'd never really thought of that as existing as like a concept and obviously like you learn more about drag kinging having such a you know kings have existed as long as queens have and mm-hmm. everything like that but i don't think because we're so we're not introduced to it as much that like sometimes we do <laughs> i didn't do a gig with pecs and a girl came up to me afterwards and was like she must have been like 17 or something very cute very young and was like 
oh that was brilliant like so uh, when did you like guys invent doing this I was like we didn't invent it she's like wait so but she couldn't understand that this was not the first time that someone had dressed as a man on stage but... oh man Victorian musical oh, I should try and turning yes. in their graves <laughs> I was like, maybe I could patent this somehow. Like, like <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> but you're talking about, I think, when someone who's been doing drag for a while, it's always really interesting because you, when you talk about Wesley and like Wesley then versus Wesley now and like how much that character kind of like shifts over the years. So, what would you, you would you say he's a different man now to what he was then, or is he flavor the same, or is the act itself different, but the character's the same? I think the I think like the characters like sort of the characters and the energy is the same, but mm-hmm. like and the drag I'm using drag to like sort of like just play with like more interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I started doing Wesley, it was like pretty much purely entertainment based. Like mm-hmm. it was just about like picking a fun song that I I knew I, I would like spend the time to lip sync. So when do the sort of quieter stuff come in? You know, like uh, your poetry and your music, because obviously music is. I assume quite a big part of your life but has that mm-hmm. always been the case or did the music sort of come later yeah the music actually definitely did come later like early I didn't do any live stuff at all when I was um before I moved back to London mm-hmm. um and when I so like I moved back to London, London in 2015 and then from like 2015 to 2017 I didn't do drag at all um because mm. I was I came back home and I wasn't actually out to my mum yet mm. so I just sort of like put everything away back in the closet um mm. and then when I started doing drag again in like January 2018 then the kind of spaces I was in and also just being exposed to like drag in London like versus um drag in Canada um mm. or even like maybe even North America um it just meant that like I was seeing new, I didn't know if people were doing these kinds of things with drag, like that like mm. it was like in the theater and and musical to this level. And like, I don't know, it was just like, felt like there was like such a range of like, like artistic and creative ways people were using drag to tell stories. Because yeah, in general, I'm, pr- I'm pr- pretty all rounder, like jack of all trades kind of vibe. Um, and I enjoy sort of like challenging myself in things I don't like necessarily do that often mm. um, so it was nice to get into a place where I sort of like started performing regularly with the Cocoa Butter Club and then that sort of like developing into like them having sort of like bigger shows where there's like whole levels of choreography and stuff yeah, like that man, they're or, like, huge now like Cocoa Butter Club is doing incredible things amazing. yeah I know like so amazing um and then doing theater stuff like with other like women and like non-binary like um actors and comedians um and sort of like veering that way and ending up at the globe and yeah London is like one of the places like like those places where like you can do Mm. this one thing and end up randomly like doing this other thing like (laughs) some places like if you do drag then you like all you do is drag shows Mm. all you do is like host shows like that's what it is bingo and brunch and everything yeah like that's the set um but it's been really nice to like find myself in like very different rooms to like what I've expected and like challenging myself creatively in ways that I didn't know like I needed also that just gave me so much queer joy hearing you casually (laughs) drop the globe I was like (laughs) I feel like it's so many people like that's the joy of like queerness and queer art and spaces is like I feel like 
I mean, 99% of the people like cannot wait to help you or cannot wait to like share something with you. Or like, if you've, if you ask for help or if you're like, Oh, I mean, my experiences anyway, but people can't wait to like, can I, can I do this for you? Or can I show you how to do this? Or my friend's got a thing that you can borrow and you can do it this way. Like it yeah. just feels like everybody's always trying. So like they might not have much or they might not have anything, yeah. but they always <laughs> want to try and like make it happen somehow because of the bond that we share. Like, so true. And I find that even like definitely amongst the King community here is like, and like, I guess like just maybe it's sort of like the non-queen community at this point. Yeah, that piece is just a lot more of a supportive vibe. Like, yeah, not, mm. yeah, I don't know. It feels like that's how it obviously should be. But, but yeah, I'm thankful people have just been like, chill. I'm aware that you, I mean, you have your listening party to get to, but before you go, can, can you just like talk about your band a bit? Like, how's oh, it yeah. going? It's Waste Women, right? Yeah, Waste Women. Yeah, so it's just a band of three like unbinary people of like, African and Asian descent. We don't, I don't know if, I wouldn't say we have a style personally, like it's pretty eclectic. We kind of just like make whatever sort of like comes to us really. But I guess based on our current album, I would say it probably has like sort of like uh, alternative rock, punky, like bit of psychedelic vibe. Was the video, yeah. was it Snap Me Out of It? Is that shot in Open Barbers as well? Yes, like, yes. Yes, so, yeah, so cute. Which is like awesome. Open Barbers is great. Definitely like shout out Open Barbers. They're Big like, shout out Open Barbers. Yeah. Before we let you go, we usually have a little um, uh, moment that we've been offering everyone called okay. the Drag It Corner. Oh. Where if there's, if there's anything that you just want to drag, anything that's caused you rage or even just minor annoyance or have has made you pause for thought and you just want to rant it out we've created the space for that before you go on with the rest of your day so no pressure if you don't have anything I guess like okay I guess like we're still in the pandemic man like that's the main thing like people Mm. are just moving a bit recklessly like Mm. just put a mask on like (laughs) (laughs) you wouldn't think it's that hard would you like just uh yeah, I know some people can't wear them. Totally. Absolutely, the ratios of what I'm seeing of mask wearing to non-mask wearing seems a little bit off. Yeah, it's mm. the, it's also the people like when it not it's not wearing them. I can tell it. I can say in my head like they're not wearing it because they have a reason not to wear it. If it's the mm. chin, it's the under the chin, or it's <laughs> the know. nose poking out from well, the like, top of I it. I saw someone wearing it on their shoulder. Not <laughs> 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 a handbag. Like what are you doing? <laughs> they just want to be in the 80s just get a powdered jacket maybe people are chin strapping because they're so jealous of our like facial contouring and drag (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much pal i can't believe you fit us in in your ridiculously tight lockdown schedule it's all good Hey, it's me, Luce Willis. Um, Unfortunately, the sound got a little dodgy when uh, Wesley was telling us uh, how you can support them as a performer. Our usual um, tags definitely wasn't anything to do with me trying to download anything, trying to find a logo on the internet. So I thought I would do that for you now if you want to follow them, and you definitely should. They are at Mr. Wesley Dykes on Instagram. Um, You can follow their band at Waste Women. Um, which is W-O-M-X-N, women with an X. 
um, to listen to some of their music. You can follow at Open Barbers, which is the incredible uh, hair salon and also just a great place that welcomes all genders and sexualities. Definitely um, check them out because they are running a GoFundMe at the moment due to COVID, unfortunately. And also check out at the Cocoa Butter Club on Instagram for some black excellence in cabaret. Um, I think that's everything, um, but um, one more thing for you to get into is time for a little more of our friend Mr. Golden Balls and some queer histories. Shami sidles onto the stage barefoot. He stands for a moment with his back to the audience, leaving them a beat to admire his gilded silhouette clad in an embroidered jacket and topped with a pale gold headdress. He swivels abruptly to face stage left and beckons me over with one hand. I shuffle forwards and let myself be guided by his brisk gestures. Getting down on one knee, I hold out the round mirror I've been clasping sweatily to my chest. He leans over the mirror and applies eyeliner with a short black pencil. Starting with his right eye, he holds and presses the lid upwards with his left hand applying the pigment in a series of dexterous strokes. Once satisfied, he bats me away and drops the pencil to the ground, scooping up a white card placed at his feet. The card reads, No rice, no Asians, no curry, spelled out in three stacked rows of capital letters. He holds the sign over his midriff, raising it up his torso as he walks towards the audience. His mouth curls into a snarling lip sync and he rips the card down the middle, flinging the strips over his head. After a series of poses, struck with feline precision and haughty ease, he sweeps back his departer through the crooks of his elbows, twirling the chiffon-like cloth. The flecks of gold which run through the burnt red and charred orange fabric spin outwards like the sparks of a Catherine wheel. He falls to his knees and whips open the jacket, revealing a bare chest, except for a short, spangled waistcoat and two discreet patches of black tape. Throwing his weight forward onto his hands, legs planted straight out and spread wide, he proceeds to pump out a series of push-ups at the cusp of the fluorescent pink border delineating the boundaries of the stage. He leaps up onto his feet and unbuckles his leather belt, uncovering a question mark drawn in black marker down his lower abdomen its inquisitive head curled around his belly button. Head back, mouth agape in silent song, he reaches into his gold pants and pulls out a crumpled Union Jack. With a vicious smile, he beats the flag and swings it lasso-like over his head before dropping it to the floor along with his burgundy trousers. Perched on all fours above the flag, he furiously whips his head of short black hair back and forth. Turning his gold behind to face the stunned public, he gathers up the Sean Duparta and wraps it around his neck, hanging down limp over his slim hips. Shami gives us a flex of his bicep, throwing his head back in laughter before bowing off the stage. A few days later, Shami published a series of photos from the performance with the caption, That night, I wanted to celebrate Desi masculinities. All the Desi masculinities which have been colonised, looted, stigmatised and rendered invisible. I was proud to wear the departure worn by my mother at her wedding, and I'm proud to be a part of this diaspora. Unconditional support to the Adelph of Asia, who have suffered the same oppressions. With this deceptively simple number, Shami confronted with cutting grace the problematic object at the core of drag king praxis, that of the purportedly universal, neutral and sovereign white male subject. Shami's efforts to reclaim the sexiness and 
and androgyny of desi-masculinities from the grip of white gaze and reframe colonial narratives of Asian manhood, expose with arresting spectacle the gnarled intersections of empire and gender, of epistemic regimes of racial and sexual difference, with their corresponding hierarchies and histories of violence enacted upon othered bodies. Shami had asked me to assist with this performance over the summer. He was helping Victor Lemort organise a drag king cabaret with a lineup of exclusively trans, pop and precarious performers for a queer festival programmed in the autumn. He was keen for a Brit, he explained, to play the Kit Maga, or colonial manservant, to his Bollywood-inspired Raj. The project represented the culmination of a personal, political and artistic trajectory for Shami. Lately, kinging had become a way for him to engage with the notion of colonialism, something that had always preoccupied him. As a child on trips to London, where he had marvelled at the bendies, bangles, and the horrible Hindi music of Kula Shaker, the epitome of appropriative British 90s pop culture. And much later, as a student faced with the casually sexualising comments of French acquaintances, their probing questions about the Karma Sutra and Islam in India, a benevolent fetishization which his research in post-colonial studies at the Sorbonne would equip him to formally critique. As a drag king, Shami's most striking performances have stemmed from this lifelong engagement with Europe's colonial ruins. Through performances which range in scope from the Western fascination with fakirs to French Republican outrage at non-mixed or communitarian political spaces, to the so-called migrant crisis, today's most brutal manifestation of Europe's collective failure to acknowledge and take responsibility for our colonial legacy. This through line of Shami's work deals with structural violence and historical events of an inconceivably immense magnitude. But what renders the performances so powerful, I suspect, is their intensely personal character. Shami Davis was born at a house party under the guidance of Jésus La Vidange. That night, Jésus had offered to initiate his circle to the art of kinging, sharing with them his expertise in drag king makeup and character work. The initians were instructed to choose a name. Everybody came up with the best names, Shami told me. Steve Blowjobs, Tara Dickoff, to name a few, all the fruit of phallocentric punnery. But Shami wanted something more profound, something that would stick. He decided to draw on the names of two people he revered as a musician and as an Indian, Sammy Davis Jr and Shami Kapoor. The story of Shami's name is illustrative of his thoughtfulness, of his characteristic perfectionism, but also of the intimacy which characterises his critical engagement with colonial histories through drag king practice. Shami Kapoor was a Bollywood legend, an actor who defined the cultural landscape of 1960s India. He was also, in Shami's words, absolutely gorgeous. For Shami, Kapoor's unparalleled suaveness embodied 60s chic and the music of that era. The surf sounds, the twist sounds, the Beatles sounds that permeated Bollywood soundtracks, a mirror image of English pop and its rhythm and blues influences. This was the music Shami's father danced to as a young man in the nightclubs of Varanasi. Music that Shami loves and continues to listen to. The story of his name points to a series of multiple births and a complex, layered understanding of identity. Shami Davis was born on the dance floors of India. Shami Davis was born at a marriage ceremony where his father wore black coal under his eyes and his mother a fiery departer for the most important day of their lives. Shami Davis was born in the pages of the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita. 
amongst the shape-shifting gods and alongside the sacred hijra who populate these pre-colonial scriptures. He is a celebration, a rediscovery, a reclaiming of that which was looted, belittled and stripped away. But he is also a celebration marked by fundamental ambivalence. The pale-skinned handsomeness of Kapoor's ghost, whose intense stare illuminates Shami's performances, evokes the remains of the colonial ethnic taxonomies which continue to condition political life in contemporary India. The remains of an absent paternal figure, his beautifully drawn eyes, his love of music. Through Shami, an amazing, powerful, beautiful, colourful king, my friend grapples with ghosts, seeking to bridge the ruptures of world history and come to terms with the losses marring his own intimate, familial story. But there's nothing wrong with this ambivalence, he told me. It's the start of a journey. Wow, we've really had it all this episode. We've had some laughs, we've had some learnings, we've had my ongoing desperate need for attention and acceptance. I think the only thing that we're missing is something to take us all home and make us feel uh, warm and cozy and safe and maybe a little sexy. Yeah, it's time for another sexy story. Well, hello there. I'm Izzy Man, and this is your favorite sexy story time. Thanks, Izzy. I'm Isabel, and this week we have some gorgeous poetry for you. This will I now sing deftly to please my girlfriends. The famous ancient Greek poetess Sappho wrote beautiful poems about her love for other women, so much so that the island she lived on, Lesbos, is actually the origin of the word lesbian. She's the OG lesbian. Did lesbians even exist before Sappho? No, I'm just kidding. Lesbians are as old as time. Anyway, sadly few of her poems survive in their entirety, but hey, sometimes a glimpse is all you need, right? There's not a huge amount known about her, but from just a few lines I managed to deduce that she didn't like the Spice Girls, as she writes, With my two arms I do not aspire to touch the sky, but that she did like Prince, coming from heaven clad in a purple mantle. Speculations that she had a foot fetish are still unconfirmed, but I have my suspicions. A broidered strap of fair Lydian work covered her feet. So, here's a selection of my favourite slivers of Sappho. He seems to me equal to the gods, that man, whoever he is opposite you, sits and listens close to your sweet speaking and lovely laughing. Oh, it puts the heart in my chest on wings, for when I look at you, even for a moment, no speaking is left in me. No, tongue breaks and thin fire is racing under skin, and in eyes no sight and drumming fills ears, and cold sweat holds me and shaking grips me all. Greener than grass I am, and dead, or almost, I seem to me. But all is to be dared, because even a person of poverty I have had not one word from her. Frankly, I wish I were dead. When she left, she wept a great deal. She said to me, This parting must be endured, Sappho. I go unwillingly. I said, Go and be happy, but remember, you know well, whom you leave shackled by love. If you forget me, think of our gifts to Aphrodite and all the loveliness that we shared, 
all the violet tiaras, braided rosebuds, dill and crocus twined around your young neck, myrrh poured on your head, and on soft mats, girls with all that they most wished for beside them, while no voices chanted choruses without ours, no woodland bloomed in spring without song. Like the sweet apple that reddens at the end of the bough, far end of the bough, left by the gatherers swaying, forgotten, so thou, nay, not forgotten, ungotten, ungathered, till now. The sinking moon has left the sky, the Pleiades have also gone, midnight comes and goes, the hours fly, and solitary still I lie. So I've got a bonus poem for you this week. This is one that I found while researching Sexy Storytime. It's called Love Poem to a Butch Woman by Deborah A. Miranda. Deborah is a mixed heritage poet and teacher from the Native American Olone Costanoan SLN Nation of California. This poem is found in her book, The Zen of La Llorona, available to print on demand from Amazon. This is how it is with me. So strong, I want to draw the egg from your womb and nourish it in my own. I want to mother your child made only of us, of me, you, no borrowed seed from any man. I want to refashion the matrix of creation, make a human being from the human love that passes between our bodies. Sweetheart, this is how it is when you emerge from the bedroom in a clean cotton shirt, sleeves pushed back over forearms, scented with cologne from an amber bottle. I want to open my heart, the brightest aching slit of my soul, receive your pearl. I watch your hands, wait for the sign that means you'll touch me, open me, fill me. Wait for that moment when your desire leaps inside me. You have been listening to the Drag King cast from Pex Drag Kings. If you enjoyed it, then please do donate to Pex's Patreon. Um, if you can't afford that, then definitely subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes because it really does help us out. You can follow us on Instagram at PexDragKings, on Twitter at PexDrag, and on Facebook at Pex.TheDragKings. The Drag King cast is presented by Jodie Mitchell, a.k.a. Dron Travolver, and Katie Bulmer, a.k.a. Luce Willis. And today you heard from Helena Felstrom, a.k.a. Mr. Golden Balls, and Isabel Adamarco Young, a.k.a. Is He a Man? Drag King Cast is produced by Katie Bulmer, Jodie Mitchell and Pex's executive producers Ellen Spence and Daisy Hale and has music from Anya Pearson of Dreamnails, artwork by Emma Hayden and photography by Ra Petherbridge. Drag King Cast is recorded live from our houses because the whole COVID malarkey, yeah, not fun. Anyway, long live the king! Mm-hmm.